a study came out finding that about half of Americans use their cell phone while watching the TV. It's not too crazy of a statistic, if you think about it. Um, people look up information um, related to a show. Maybe they uh, you know, text in and vote for a reality TV show contest, uh, post something on social media, that sort of thing. Not too crazy. Um, but this year, came, a study came out that said that in four years, just four years, that number went from 50% all the way to 87%. It's a huge statistical jump for four years. Now, posting something on Facebook about the show or looking up information, those things make sense, right? But, but have you ever been trying to consume two forms of media at the same time? Like you're watching a television show and you're playing a game on your phone. Have, have you ever done that? Don't, don't raise your hand. I know, it's embarrassing. Um, uh, so you, usually, you know, I like to say that whatever people, whatever I'm talking about, I can really identify with that, you know, that I do that too. But I'm going to be honest with you here. I, I just, I, consuming two forms of media at the same time, I just can't, I, I can't do that. I don't do that. I, I, think, I think you're crazy. Um, so um, you're actually not that crazy. 87% of Americans do this. Whether, whether, you're, whether you're inside this 87% or outside of it, here's something we can all identify with. Feeling distracted. Do you ever feel like you have a lot of distractions? Cell phone binging, uh, you get a phone call, kid got to scrape their knee, somebody else's music, the TV's on, you know, the dog's barking, you got all these things coming at you. We live in an age of distraction. If we want distraction, we can have distraction. If we don't want distraction, we're still going to have distraction. So those are small momentary distractions, but what about life-sized distractions, those big, those big things? What about when new information is coming at you from one direction, major life change is coming at you from another direction, maybe you've got a minor crisis over here, you've got these other things that you really want in life, things you're hoping to accomplish, and they're all coming at you, and in the midst of this whirlwind, you feel confused. When the larger things of life are pulling you all over the place, you don't feel distracted. You feel confused. Well, confusion and divided attention is something universal to the human experience. It's something that the Colossians were experiencing as well. And as Brian talked about last week, the Colossians were experiencing some pressures from false teachers in their church. They were, there were some people among them coming in and teaching them all these sorts of things that were different from what they had learned to begin with. There were different beliefs, different uh, things that they were supposed to do, different perspectives on the spiritual realm. And they were stuck in this mess of conflicting ideas and left them confused. How can we refocus our lives when we are feeling confused? How can we find focused direction towards the thing that matter the most in life rather than getting distracted by all these things that don't matter as much? How do we keep ourselves focused on what is true when there's all these ideas coming at us from the media? How can you refocus your life? Well, this week we're going to take a look at, um, as Paul guides the Colossian church through how he views them and what he sees as the true purpose of their lives. We'll see that some of the things he does to refocus them 
are also things that we can do to refocus our lives as well. We're going to be in Colossians 1, starting at verse 21. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there if you want to be looking through the passage. We're also going to have the verses um, on the screen. At least most of them are going to be on the screen here behind me. Um, so, So Colossians 1, starting at verse 21. The first thing that Paul does here and that you can do is, he, he's, is you can step back and take a look at where you are at in God's storyline. Step back and take a look at where you're at in God's storyline. Here's what Paul says. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior... But now he has reconciled you to Christ to he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel refocusing your life depends on being able to look at the big picture and in order to look at the big picture you got to remember where you started at Paul tells us that we started out separated from God and as as enemies with him. We were opposed to him, but then God God got a hold of your life, and he brought you back into friendship with him. You had peace with God, and there was peace in your soul. Your guilt was wiped away. And this is all the backstory to where you're at right now. That's what Paul says. You have to know where you started out. And if you know where you started out and you see what God is doing and where he's taken you so far, that's going to point to where he's going to take you next. Paul says that the reason God did this was so that we could become mature. Take a look at verse 28 if you have your Bible open. This is what he says. He says, he, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. You were an enemy of God, God got a hold of your life, he turned it around, and now he's trying to make you mature. That is the big picture in a nutshell. The problem we often run into is that we, we are able to take a look at the big picture, we can do that, but we're not taking a look at the big picture through the lens of God's storyline. You see, if you merely take a look at your life through your own storyline, it's going to look something like this. I started out as a child having fun and uh, enjoying a life, but then I was crippled by this experience in junior high. I made a lot of mistakes in my teen years. There was that bad relationship with mess and stuff that still hurts a little. I I got married, had kids. Life became busy, but good. I started going to church, switched jobs, moved. Life became stressful. There was that one horrible incident that I feel like ruined my life. Got a promotion. That made me feel better. Struggles with the kids started consuming my attention. Finally got to retire. That was nice. On and on and on. Just ups and downs on this slow journey toward death. That is a human perspective. But God's perspective is different. His story goes something like this. You have this past life, but then I got your attention. I died on a cross for your sins. I bought you. And you started letting me direct your life. You started growing and throwing off old habits and old problems. You were starting to really feel free. And then you you took a step backwards. 
but I forgave you and you kept growing. And, and you ignored me for a little while here, but, but then you were growing again then, and I, I got your attention, you started moving forward again. I kept forgiving you along this journey and you kept going forward, experiencing greater and greater peace and wholeness and freedom. And now you're at a really great place. And more importantly, your heart is ready to move in the right direction. In Colossians 1, Paul tells the story. And it always starts with us being against God. You have the cross in the middle. And at the end, it has you following Christ and growing more mature with him. That's what the picture looks like from God's perspective. You see, God's perspective on our story, on our life, is helpful because it erases your mistakes. Your past mistakes are forgiven. They don't define you. You don't have to be defined by them. God's story is helpful because it tells you where you are going. God is trying to help you get more mature so that your life reflects the beauty of who he is. God's story is helpful because it tells you where you are right now. It's the beauty and the mystery of the gospel. It's in the passage. Paul says, Christ is in you, and you have the hope of glory. You see, when Christ is in you, it doesn't matter where you are at physically, where you're located It doesn't matter where you're at emotionally, your fears, your burdens. It doesn't matter what life stage you are in, whether your life is at a high point or a low point. When Christ is in you and you are following his leadership in your life, you are right where you should be. The past is erased. When Christ is in you, you are secure. Secure. When Christ is in you and he begins directing your life, your your life is going to get some focus. He invites himself in, you know, I just want you guys to know, he invites himself in into the soul of any person, just like a person inviting themselves over for dinner. He invites himself into the soul of any person who is willing to receive him. So if you need to refocus, take a step back and look at the big picture from the perspective of God's storyline. It will bring some focus on where you've been, where you are now, where you should be going, what you should be doing. The second principle we learn for refocusing your life is to remember your commission and your goals. Remember your commission and your goals. Paul tells the Colossian church what his commission and his goals are, and the implication of this in the passage is that they should have the same commission and the same goals. So let's take a look at what he said. Verse 25, I have become the church's servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them... God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we can present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul's commission is right there in verse 25, to present to you the word of God in its fullness. And this is the word of God in its fullness. It's the gospel. It's the fact that Christ can live inside of you and you can have the hope of heaven because of Jesus' death on the cross. Paul's commission is to proclaim Christ, to share the good news. This is his job from God. It's a unique commission that Paul received um, because what we learn about in other parts of the Bible is that Paul actually heard an audible voice telling him to be about the proclamation, the sharing of his faith with the world. But really, here's the thing, really it's a commission for all of us. 
Jesus, said, he, Jesus gave us a commission on his last day on earth, and this is what he said. All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We call that the Great Commission. So it's Paul's commission to share the good news and to help people come into a relationship with God, but it's our commission too. We have a job to do. The problem is we often forget, we often lose sight of this job because we have all these voices telling us all these other things that we ought to be doing. You have these voices internally or externally telling you that your lawn and your house need to look like this. They're telling you that you need to be making this much money. Your car should look like this. Your, cur- your kids deserve these sorts of toys. They should be having these sorts of experiences. You should be having these sorts of experiences. Your clothing should be of this brand and it dare not look like this. You should have this many friends and they should all know you really, really well. And you, know, you, you should have this many Facebook friends. And you should be serving in the church like this. Um, and involved in your community like this, in sports, PTO, whatever. Um, your grades should look like this and your test scores should look like this. You should be going to a college like this. Your kids should be able to do this by age this. Sometimes that voice comes from outside of us. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we're just saying it to ourselves, right? In the midst of a culture where there's all these expectations about who and how and what we should be, it is helpful to remember that we are not beholden to our culture, to other people, to tell us what to do. We are beholden to God. And while God's commissions are not necessarily a cakewalk, they're honestly, they're, very, they're fairly simple. They can certainly give your life focus. And God actually tells us that there are ways to walk out his commission such that you won't constantly be burdened and worried. This is what he says in Matthew 11. He says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When God's commission is your commission, and when his goals are your goals, your goals are going to be a lot more focused. You know, take a look at the examples of the goals that, that Paul has here for the Colossian church. For chapter 2, verse 2. This is what he says. My goal is that they, he's referring to the Colossians, may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Three goals, very simple. First, he wants people to stay encouraged in their souls because life is tough and, and we, need to, we need to get some encouragement. Second, he wants people to stay united in love. Third, he wants people to understand the wisdom and knowledge of Christ. Three goals, simple goals for this church. And for you personally, if you can remember the commission and goals you have from God, you'll end up with a simple list too. If you're a parent of young kids, you'll have a commission to raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If you serve in the church, you'll have a commission in that ministry. You'll have a commission to care for your family, to stay pure from the corruption of this world. Your goals won't be lofty or complicated or laden with multiple steps to get to some far-fetched accomplishment. And that's what will happen when Christ is at the center. You see, when Christ is at the center... When he is the centerpiece of your attentions, your goals are going to get a lot more focused and they're going to get simpler. 
Christ as the centerpiece of your attentions. This is what Colossians is all about. This is what this passage is all about. If you take a look at this passage, verse 22, you are reconciled through Christ's body. Verse 24, Christ's afflictions, the mystery of Christ in you. He is the one we proclaim to present people mature, not just mature, but mature in Christ. He's all over the place in this passage, in this book. It's all about Christ. To gain focus in our lives, Christ needs to be the centerpiece of our attentions. You need to think about Christ all the time, all the time, the way Paul talks about Christ all the time. You need to evaluate every new truth, everything through the lens of what Christ has to say. You need to take the things that you desire and see if they're an extension of your desire for Christ or if they are just a distraction from your desire for Christ. You need to take a look at your actions and evaluate them through the purposes of Christ. Everything in your life must be looked at as if it's sitting on the table right next to this huge centerpiece of Christ. Right there is the distraction or whatever it is you're trying to evaluate. Christ right there in the middle of the center. It's a challenge in our culture, in our world, to keep Christ as that centerpiece. You see, the Colossian church was struggling with this too. They had all these religious influences that were pushing Christ to the side. And that's often what happens. Pushes, Christ just gets pushed to the side a little, slowly, slowly. Things wrestling to be there instead of Christ. And that is the way it is with your life. There are present day threats that are trying to keep Christ from being at the absolute center of your attention. Let's take a look at some of them. When I was a uh, teenager... Um, I used to listen to Christian uh, radio to get encouragement. I, you know, I didn't have um, as many sources of spiritual encouragement available to me in my life. And so I listened to Christian radio, and I just loved um, listening to that, getting spiritual encouragement there. I listened to Chuck Swindoll, um, Dr. David Jeremiah, James Dobson, and Focus on the Family. I just got a lot of stuff, good, good encouraging stuff out of these things. Well, nowadays, I, every once in a while, I will turn, tune in to Christian radio or Christian TV just to see what's on. Because I don't, I don't do it as much because I have all these other things available to me. Well, one day I was turning on Christian TV and I was just interested to see, out of curiosity, what there was there. And I was listening to this one guy talk and I noticed as he was talking, you know, and I'm just listening, I felt like there was something that was not quite right. And I couldn't put my finger on it. It was something, I felt something spiritually. And, you know, there was just some, you know, I kept listening. I tried to, tried to put my finger on what was just not quite right. You know, th- there wasn't any really glaring red flags. You know, the, he wasn't saying anything like way, way blatantly against the Bible or anything like that. But there were just a lot of these little things that weren't quite right. Missing pieces, not telling the whole story of how something works. Um, and... He was leaving out some important things, things that are not so pleasant, but they're really important. But all that's forgivable. You know, not every preacher is going to get it perfect. So I just kept listening, and then I put my finger on it. Blessing. He was talking a lot about blessing. And that was what was different. And there were some things that were true, but it was when this blessing word that would come up that it would feel a little skewed. And I'd think, well... That's not quite how blessing works. And I got to the end of the show, and there was this little snippet about giving money to the program, and they said something like, send along your check, and as you bless us, we trust that God will bless you. 
which isn't totally unbiblical. I mean, there's, there's actually nothing really wrong with saying that. Um, it's not unbiblical. But I began to put two and two together. And as I thought back over the way he had talked about blessing, I realized blessing was a code word for money or financial success. And then I listened to the next guy coming up in the program, and he was talking about blessing too. But this time, I understood what he was saying, and it made a lot more sense now that I knew the meaning of the code word. And I remember that moment distinctly because my heart was burdened inside of me because I thought some of the people in our church might be listening to this. And if they are, they are being led astray by a pseudo-Christianity. A fake version that looks similar, looks similar to the real thing. I had heard about this thing called the prosperity gospel, but now I had experienced it. And I've got some disclaimers here. I'm not saying it's a bad idea to support Christian TV uh, ministry or radio ministry or that they're all out to to make money because I really don't think that's the case. And I'm not saying all TV ministry falls into this category. but But I am saying you need to beware because there's this pseudo Christianity out there that threatens to lead you astray. And here is where they've got it wrong. They're telling you that your purpose in life is wrapped up in this blessing thing instead of in Christ. That you should pursue your blessing implicitly instead of Christ. And if you think this or do this, you will, you will receive your blessing. It's as if they found the key to forcing your way to, with God. Do it right, think it right, say it right, and you always get your blessing. And they've left out God's free will and choice to do something different. Like he does with Job, Job in the Bible, right? He does everything right. God still gives him pain and suffering. And Job didn't know the reason for it. He didn't, he didn't know why. You know, but, but it's a really thought-provoking account. And if you haven't read the book of Job, you know, I re- recommend it. Very thought-provoking. So they've got this forcing your way with God thing, and it's not biblical. But here's where they've really got it wrong. And we've all got it wrong. It's because it's a part of our culture here in America. Our media's got it wrong. Our government has got it wrong. The business world has got it wrong. Our entire country has got this wrong, and, and this is what it is. This is not blessing. This is not blessing. Let me tell you what blessing is. When you spend time on the floor playing with your kids. That is blessing. When you wake up in the morning and you get to make yourself a delicious breakfast of eggs and toast and bacon, you enjoy it in peace and you got a heart and soul that's at peace and you're just savoring it. That is blessing. When you get to hang out with your friends and laugh at life and when the time goes by and you just don't care what time it is because you just love hanging out with them. That is blessing. When you have marital peace, when you aren't living in isolation anymore, when you have friends and family in your life to encourage you, that is blessing. When you aren't living in conflict with other people, when your plans for a project, they finally come together into this finished product that you, you can be happy and proud over and celebrate. When you're taking a walk with a friend, that blessing. 
Life with Christ, that is blessing. Life with Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's what the passage says. That is blessing. This is not blessing. This is not blessing. Financial peace. Yes, that's blessing. But you don't get financial peace by pursuing more of this. You get financial peace by redirecting your desires to the things you already have, the things that are already available to you, instead of pursuing things that you don't have with this. The big thing, you know, that Financial Peace University, the big thing people get out of that uh, seminar is they learn how to stop spending money and have a budget and be content to live within their means. That's a big thing they get out of it. The Bible says the love and pursuit of this is the root of all kinds of evil. The only thing holding you back from your blessing is you because of stuff like this. It's because of our unwillingness to embrace God's love poured into our lives in a million different ways every day. Simple things we experience every day, but we're not truly savoring them or appreciating them. So keep Christ at the center of your attentions, and you'll have way more blessing than if you had put this at the center of your attentions. There's another present-day thread that is attempting to keep Christ from being the centerpiece of your attentions, and, I, and it's what I'm going to call the um, climate of our nation. Right now, we're just coming to acknowledge that corruption in our nation does not just exist in the people in positions of leadership, of, of, of power, but the corruption for us has entered into our entire dialogue as a nation. It's discouraging. You felt this. No matter where you land on the various issues, you feel and sense that things are just not going well for us as a country. There's a negative spirit in the air. And it's the sort of thing, you know, honestly, it's not good for the soul if you're just listening to it and just, you know, all this stuff is coming into your, your mind and your soul. With disappointing news items and negativity everywhere, the climate of our nation is clamoring to be the center of our attentions. But our lives are only rightly focused when Christ is the center of our attentions. And there's issues, important issues, and disappointing news within those issues. But those issues, too, cannot and should not be the true center of our attentions. That is a spot that is reserved only for Christ. In his well-known book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis, um, you, you may know him through the Narnia series, series he, he imagines what a conversation would be like between a demon and his supervisor demon as they attempt to derail the life of a new Christian. Fascinating read. Um, and in this one letter, Screwtape, you know, the, the boss demon, he advises the inexperienced demon and he tells him this. The real trouble about the set your patient, now that's what they call the Christian, is living in, is that it is merely Christian. They all have individual interests, of course, but the bond remains mere Christianity. What we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in a state of mind I call Christianity and. You know, Christianity and the crisis. 
Christianity and the new psychology, Christianity and the new order. These are things that don't make any sense to us, but they would have at his time. You know, those were the issues of the day. Um, Christianity and faith healing, there's one we know. Christianity and psychical research, Christianity and vegetarianism, Christianity and spelling reform. If, If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. Substitute the faith itself, some fashion, with a Christian coloring. Work on their horror of the same old thing. And the same old thing is, of course, Christ and basic Christianity. Substitute for the faith itself some fashion with a Christian coloring. This is the sort of thing that can happen when Christ is not the centerpiece of our attentions. So how do we keep Christ at the centerpiece of our attentions when we got this climate and this, this atmosphere in our nation that is just clamoring to, be, to come in and be the center? or inch its way towards the center. I think we go back to what Christ says about these times. What Christ says to Paul in the book of 2 Timothy. <laughs> I almost did a Donald Trump there. Um, so uh, 2 Timothy. There will be terrible, this is what 2 Timothy says. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be, be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, Boastful, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. God told us it would happen. And he told us that no matter what happens, he still holds the whole story in his hands. That is what Christ says. And he also tells us that he's with us, even to the end of the age. There are forces outside of us that threaten to take Christ from the center of our attention. And there are forces within our own hearts, within our own homes, that threaten to take Christ from being the center. Houses and hobbies. This is the next one. We were designed to do more than just work. We were designed to enjoy life and savor it. Working on your house, enjoying a hobby. These are things to be enjoyed, to be celebrated by Christians. But we've got to beware that they don't become the centerpiece to our lives. Good things that we desire, good things that we want, have the potential to become the centerpiece of our attention. And we need to be, care- be careful to watch out that they don't inch their way towards the center of the table. And then there's technology. Oh, Technology. In order for you to maintain focus in life and keep your focus on Christ, you have a new battle that you have to wage against in this world. It's a new distraction called entertainment technology. And the the, the symbolic figure of entertainment technology is this, the smartphone. It's interesting. Social media is kind of new, but a lot of these things we have had for a long time. Video games, we've had those for a long time. We've had the internet for a good while. Um, TV, we've had that a long time. Long, long time. But never before have we had all of these things so easily, cheaply, and instantaneously available to us wherever we are. Not only do we have these things, but our technologies can make it so that we can have exactly what we want right now. We can easily get the entertainment we want. If you like to watch zombies... If you, if you like to play games where you smush candy, you can do that. If you like to play games where you knock over pigs with, with birds all day, you, all day you can do that. Whatever t- entertainment you want, 
You can have it right now. The problem with this, the setup, is that when we more easily get what we want, our desires can begin to direct our lives instead of Christ. When we more easily get what we want, our desires can begin to direct our lives instead of Christ. Most of us, most people, acknowledge that they spend more time on a screen in their entertainment hours than they would like to or more than they should, ought to. Technology is just so pervasive that it's not the young people anymore, is it? It's not just those young people. If we want to keep Christ at the center of our tensions while living in a world where the very best entertainment in the world is available to us, it's just a lock screen swipe away, we need to wrestle with our desires and learn from the ancients on how to control them and how to keep our desires from becoming that centerpiece to our attentions. There are lots of suggestions from the ancients on this, but there's one that stands out from the rest as the way to deal as one way to deal with this problem. It is fasting. Fasting is the practice that Christians have found throughout the centuries before Christ even. Fasting is the practice that the people have found helpful for when their desires get out of control. And fasting is a great thing to do with technology. It can take a lot of forms. You can limit your technology use to certain hours of the day. Limit it. Just this hours. That's a, way, that's a form of a fast. You can stop using entertainment technology for a, a day, a couple of days, a week, and, and, and do that and experience what that's like. You can cut some things out perma- permanently. This app, this thing, cutting it out permanently. Those, that's a form of fasting. And what you'll find when you do this is that it's much easier to put Christ back in the center of the table. You'll begin to realize that that thing you desired was much closer to the middle of the table than you realized. When you sit down at the table, the centerpiece, it's the first thing you see. You have these other things on the table, of course. You got your napkins, you got your, you got your plates, and you got your, your food. But good centerpieces define the atmosphere of the occasion. Candles at the center of the table change how you feel about the whole meal. When you look across the table to talk to someone, you can still see the centerpiece you know, out of the corner of your eye. It's taken up a portion of your vision because it's right there in the middle of the table. It's always within your consciousness. If your attentions, your thoughts, your speech are a table, and you've got lots of things on the table, Christ needs to be the centerpiece. Keep him there. And let him bring focus to your life. Would you stand?